You're listening to an episode of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. Hello. Thanks for joining me for another episode. We're back after a week-long break, and I'm really excited to share this week's episode with you. This week, I speak with Kristen Ozana Doyle, a high school social studies teacher at Pembroke Academy, a public high school in New Hampshire. Kristen is also my former social studies teacher from when I was a student at Raymond High School, so it was really awesome to get a chance to catch up with one of the best educators I've ever had. We discuss what it was like for Kristen to go back and teach at her alma mater. Kristen shares how she came to the decision to not discuss her political views in her classroom and what informed that decision. And we discuss the experience of watching students grow and go on to live their lives beyond high school. Plus, Kristen and I share some memories of our time together in Raymond High School, and she shares what I was like as a student and what it was like to teach me back in high school. If you enjoy my conversation with Kristen, please give the podcast a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, and maybe take a minute or two to write a quick review and say what you're enjoying about Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. And, as always, please feel free to share the podcast with someone that you know who might enjoy it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Kristen. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I'm just going to recognize right off the um, off the top, you are the second former teacher that I've had on the on the podcast. Um, the first one was your former colleague, uh, Randy mm-hmm. Lacasse. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just really excited to have you on as well and continue this uh, installment of having my former educators on the podcast and sort of getting to know you in like this other aspect that as someone who also teaches. So I'm very excited to see where the conversation takes us. Absolutely. I'm kind of bummed I have to go after Mr. Lacasse. He's got big shoes to fill. Oh, no, you will. You will. You will do wonderfully. You you, you will do wonderfully. You're very different teachers in a lot of ways. So we you'll... are. That is yes. true. That is true. <laughs> uh, OK, so what I'm going to have you do to begin is um, go back to the first day of school. And by that, I mean your first day of full time teaching, sort of whatever that looks looks like for you. Um, you might want to think about sort of the way that you felt or um, just sort of large takeaways, memories mm-hmm. you have of that experience. Um, so my I'm first curious. time teaching ever or like this year? Uh, so the, like the first time teaching ever, like what you would oh identify as your first day of, of being a teacher. Okay. So my first day of being a teacher was at my old high school, my alma mater, Raymond High School. And it had been, I guess, five years since I had been there. I graduated from high school in 1997. And then I did four years of undergrad at Colby Sawyer College. And I was hired by my former teacher to take his position when he left to go to Pembroke Academy. And more on that later. Mm -hmm. But um, so I was hired at my old high school. And what was interesting about that was everybody knew me as as kiddo, as Kristen. And so going in there as a 22-year-old kid teaching... 18 and 19 and 20 year olds was very bizarre to me and you know they prepare you in college for all kinds of how to write a lesson plan and you know how to break down 
different concepts and teach them, they don't really teach you about students. I didn't find that I was really ready to teach students. I was ready to teach social studies, but not right. students. So that was, it was interesting to be coming into a situation where I knew most of the teachers. I knew a lot of the students. My brother was a senior at the same school when I started teaching. So I knew a lot of his friends um, and there were kids in classes I used to babysit. So it was just a very interesting wow. dynamic for me to go back there. Did that um, add like very... an extra level of pressure? Um, not so much pressure as I guess it was almost a comforting factor, I guess, oh, that I okay. knew a lot of people. And then they were very supportive of me. So I knew that there were always going to be people there to kind of cushion me to make sure that if I kind of messed up, they were there to, to kind of help me along. So that was actually kind of nice in that regard. But, you know, my first... Within the first two weeks of teaching, September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of was a whole new kind of baptism by fire where you've got kids going through the hallway that were crying. They had no idea what was going on. And back in those days, we didn't have the internet readily accessible in our classrooms. We had little TVs that you would wheel in yeah. from the library. And I had, I distinctly remember, I sent a student to the office. He kicked a piece of paper and it broke the light on the ceiling because the shoe flew off. Um, and I, I had sent him to the office and the paraprofessional went to check on him. And she came back with a television. I'm like, what is this woman doing? Um, and she's like, oh, there was an explosion at the World Trade Center. So we put the oh TV God. on just in time to see the second plane hit. So that really kind of made me realize I, you know, I'm kind of looking around like, what, what do I do? And then I realized I'm the adult here. I'm the one that has right. to be the calming presence for these very frightened, very confused 14 year olds and not really, you know, there was nobody else. It was me that they were looking at, like, what do I do? So I, you know, really tried to be the, you know, the calm presence in the classroom kind of, and that's, I think, where... I started my role of as like the mother and I've always been like the, the kids at school now, they refer to me as mom. I, that's just mm -hmm. kind of how my, I guess my classroom persona began is, is that the kids needed a mother figure at that point. So that's what I was and that's kind of what I've been nurturing for the past 18 years. So right. that was really my first day, but that was kind of my first few weeks of, yeah. um, you know, very interesting dynamic and you know there was there was a student in my class that was a year and a half younger than I was so that was um I don't believe he finished that school year I don't, I don't think he finished high school but there right. definitely you know was something to be said for being a kid when I started and yeah. having to you know figure out very quickly that I'm the adult and I have to I have to act like the adult and I don't quite think that I had really thought that through in college yeah of course well and and, and even though like September 11th like wasn't on your first day like you mm -hmm. said I mean I'm sure that experience was emblematic of just a lot of what you had been thinking about and going through up sure. until that moment it was just a perfect summation of that with like this really catastrophic event right. that touched everyone but right you probably had a couple different moments where you encountered these things and you mm -hmm. were like oh this is my responsibility like I'm the one yeah. who has to take care of this or I'm the one who has to say something about this which I think is right. again just emblematic of what a lot of people go through in in their first few years of teaching mm -hmm. especially when you um when you are kind of a younger teacher like when you right. start like right out of college which i think that's just a very specific experience mm -hmm. of you know starting between the ages of like 22 and 24 when you feel like you're so close in age to these kids as well right. and you have to be the adult when 
you aren't used to that because college doesn't really prepare you to be an no. adult. No, it really doesn't. It, it does. It teaches you plenty of content. I knew my content pretty well, uh, but it really, it, it was something that it took me, it took me some time to get used to, to the point where, you know, my first year teaching, I taught only freshmen. I taught freshman economics five times a day, all year. It was horrible. I hate economics. <laughs> and I still to this day hate economics. Um, but I taught that freshman class, I taught every single one of those students. That was the class of 2005, and I also advised that class. So that was my first year teaching. I jumped right in, I advised them, and then their sophomore year, I taught all sophomore level courses. So some of those kids, I had them all again the next year, and then junior year, I taught junior level classes, I taught US history, and then senior year, I taught upper electives. There were some students that graduated in 2005 that I had every single semester of their high school career. <laughs> I mean, and you know Raymond High School, it's a small enough school yeah. that that yeah, is yeah, yeah, possible, yeah. but you know, there were some kids that I'm like, I just can't escape these kids. Yes, you know? yeah. No, and that they is, probably that felt is, the same yeah. way, so I, but you know what? I remember distinctly um, in the yearbook that year, one of the students, Tyler LaRoche, from the class of 2005, had had said something about, you know, um, we don't think of Mrs. Do- uh, Miss, uh, Miss Hosanna, sorry, Miss Hosanna as a teacher. We think of her as a friend that gives us tests. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think I really did grow up with that class. I mean, I, I watched them go through school. I probably messed up more times than I did things correctly with them. Um, there yeah. were a lot of things that I think you know, going back, I would have done a lot differently than I even do now. Um, but I think that that they were that class itself was just very like very sweet kids. They were very accepting and really didn't. I think I really don't think that they tried to push me. I really don't think that they tried to. They they just did not try to to be bad to be bad they were they were just they were good kids and i was able to kind of figure out the type of teacher that i wanted to be with them kind of being able to to try things out with them so i was really lucky to have to have that experience i still talk to many of them we're still facebook friends we argue about Mm -hmm. politics um Mm -hmm. one of them one of the students in that class is married to my brother so um i see some (laughs) of them um some of them often and it's really neat now to see them all getting married and being parents and I'm like you're 14 you're 14 what do you right, mean right, you're right. married and you have children like for some of them you know John I still think of you as the 14 year old kid with long hair that covers your eyes you right. know that <laughs> walking down the hallway with your head kind of cocked to the side so you can yeah. see one eye out of yeah. your hair yeah that's um, absolutely accurate <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's weird to me sometimes to see these kids as adults and some of them are lawyers and some of them are doctors and police officers and state troopers and I call them and ask them advice and and it's right. just you know what a neat what a neat profession that we have the ability to see people grow like this and see them become wonderful people it really is like nothing else yeah absolutely yeah and and we get to sort of like I don't know in some ways gauge like our own growth on like where they are as well you know like mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like that first class that you had like you really think of yourself as as learning to teach with them like they were right. they were your guinea pigs um, right absolutely 100% and then once I graduate, you're like, wow, this means that I've been a teacher for four years as well. And even though like mm-hmm. the main narrative that we're focusing on is how much they've grown mm-hmm. and how much they've matured, I'm also thinking about how much I've matured as well. And it's right. just because I'm I, my my freshman class, like my first freshman class, is graduating this year. Um, and I'm and I'm not I'm not with them anymore because I, I was yeah. at a different school. Um, yeah. But I, it does get me thinking a lot about you know about 
just how much has changed in the last four years for me and how much has inevitably changed for them as well. So it's a crazy sort of thing that we're going through. Um, So I want to transition a little bit to um, Mm -hmm. the moment when you realized that you wanted to be uh, a teacher or or maybe Mm -hmm. like the series of moments that led you to realize that you wanted to be a teacher and wanted to commit yourself to this very Mm -hmm. strange lifestyle for the the foreseeable future. You know, I had an eighth grade social studies teacher that was a, he's kind of hard to describe. He was very brusque. He was very, not mean, but, but quite demanding in the things that he wanted from us. We had to memorize the Gettysburg Address. We had to memorize the preamble. And he really pushed me and in ways that got me to really enjoy history. And I kind of started to think I could do what he's doing, maybe not be that brash with people, but I really did enjoy the stuff that I learned with him. And I realized I can memorize things and I can do that well. And I can Mm -hmm. analyze this type of thing. Math was never my thing. I really liked (laughs) astronomy when I was like eight. I liked looking at the moon. My parents got me a telescope. And then I hit like middle school math and decided I was never going to be an astronaut. So I had to find something else to do. (laughs) Um, So I really started to enjoy learning about history and reading more about it. My parents had like books of encyclopedias at home that I would read because again, this is pre-internet. And I I would enjoy Enjoy doing that and I think by the time I got to high school again math was just not going to be something that was going to enjoy me or that I was going to enjoy and I started to take all of the history classes that I could and my teachers that I had there that you probably had as well like Miss Nardone mm-hmm. were just so you know passionate about what they did and so you know wanted to make sure that you understood what it meant to be a good citizen and why that was important and why we needed to understand history and how we we become an informed citizenry that I'm like you know what this this is what I want to do so I think I took every social studies class that was offered at Raymond High School and back then we didn't have the only advanced placement class we had was calculus and that just wasn't happening um, right. <laughs> so we didn't even have AP US then So I think probably around my junior year, I started to look at schools where I could major in history, and I knew that there wasn't really a whole lot I could do with that beyond teaching. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, I... I like high school. I enjoyed my high school career. Um, I had a really good time. I had great friends. I had a great experience. I played sports. I was involved in clubs. And I thought, you know what? I, I could do this. I could do this all the time. I didn't think I would want middle school because in middle school, like everyone smells funny. Their head is too big. Their arms are too long. They kind of drag on the ground. And I just, I did not want to deal with middle school students. So I thought, you know what? High school, high school sounds good. Um, luckily, I got accepted the schools that I applied to. I got pretty good financial aid and I ended up at Colby Sawyer. Um, I knew I wanted a small college because I went to a small high school and I liked mm-hmm. that that feel. Um, and it was close enough by that I could be near to my parents because I was very close to them then. I'm still very close to them now. And um, I loved it. I, a lot of people that I went to college with changed their major. Um, I didn't. I stayed with history secondary education. And mm-hmm. the program there was structured in a way that since it was essentially a double major, a major in history, society, and culture, and then secondary ed, it was pretty much prescribed what I was going to take from my freshman year to my senior year. Because being a small school, oh, hey, this class is only offered in the spring of odd-numbered years. So you either take it as a sophomore or you take it as a senior. So it really was very much laid out for me when I got there what I was going to take. I mean, there were a couple things here and there that, that I could have made some changes to, but for the most part, 
I loved my experience from the beginning. The only class that I hated was economics. It was taught by a business <laughs> teacher. He was 7,000 years old. Oh, and kind of constant. Yes, I'm like, God, I hate economics. Um, I just don't, I, I guess maybe it's that it's it's very it's math you know right it's math right. involved in social studies and i don't want anything to do with it so um <laughs> that was that was the only class that sort of tripped me up um and the rest of them were were great and i i loved my professors i loved um my practicums i loved my student teaching um so i knew that that was what i was what i was going to do and i really didn't think that there was anything else i could do gotcha so the, so there wasn't a moment when you like kind of really stopped to say like, do I really want to like throw myself into this? You just, no. once you said on it, you never yep. really looked back. Yeah, no, there, I don't ever remember there being a time where I thought, is this really what I want to do? I mean, the pay I knew from the beginning was going to be, you know, less than stellar. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it really, it didn't, I knew that I was going to love what I did. And yeah. if I didn't, then I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, and even now, I, I don't know if there's anything else I could do. No, mm, I could be a personal organizer. I could do that. Yes, you know, I could do that. I know that. I could be a life coach. I could do that. But, you know, I love seeing students every day. I love hearing their stories. I love, yeah. you know, seeing their, oh, yeah, you mean this is, this is why we do this or that's what, you know, I have a lot of those moments right now. I teach psychology and sociology to juniors and seniors, and they really are classes in which the students are like, oh, wow, that is yeah. why that's the way that is, or that's why I am the way that I am. So to yep. be there, you know, it might not be the formative years. It might not be I'm learning how to count or I'm learning my ABCs or I, I suddenly understand multiplication, but it definitely is It, it is a, a great way to see students begin to think in different ways and think in more more of those abstract kind of real life ways than just, you know, kind of the concrete things. Totally. I mean, I took psychology and sociology mm-hmm. with you and I absolutely mm-hmm. echoed that like that. I remember cert- like a lot of things from that class and a lot of like, yeah, moments when like I start to actually think like, wow, like there are these like really abstract, abstract concepts that we see like enacted like in everyday life and mm-hmm. is a way of organizing like the way that our minds work or the way the way that our society is made up. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it definitely carries over. Um, so going back a little bit farther um i'm curious about what you were like as a student and what you were like as a learner and i'm curious about ways in which that's you know informed your own teaching experience Mm -hmm. or practices or ways that's made you you know rethink certain aspects of that um i'm I'm curious about what kind of student you were although i feel like i i know what kind of a student you were Uh, (laughs) probably i was the dork that sat in the front of the class (laughs) that was very much the hermione granger like let me raise my hand and answer the question i loved positive feedback from my teachers i can remember certain comments that i said that my teachers gave me like oh yeah great job Kristen." Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that that has sort of stuck with me that there are, you know, and I was never top of my class. I graduated 11th in the class. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I wasn't top 10. I just barely missed it. Um, (laughs) But I definitely was a student. I did try to challenge myself by taking a lot of classes and by taking ones that were were challenging to me. I was not going to take physics because that just wasn't going to happen. But I took anatomy and physiology instead, which was great because that was all memorization. I'm like, I could do that. Um, And I wasn't going to take AP Calc, but instead I took advanced algebra and trigonometry. 
trigonometry. So I took four years of math when I knew that I didn't need it for social studies, but I'm like, you know what? I, it's probably important that I know these things. So I took four years of math, four years of science, four plus years of social studies because all those other classes in between there. Um, and of course, you know, we, we had to take our four years of English. But I remember having a conversation with with Miss um, Koch, my English teacher, in my sophomore year. And um, I was taking with her at the time, I was taking Shakespeare. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take an easy class next year. And she said, no, you won't. You are taking British mm-hmm. literature and you're taking gender race in class. So <laughs> I wrote that down. I'm taking British literature. And yep. back then we had, we had GRC1 and GRC2 and Britlet1 and Britlet2. And I took all four of those classes because that's what my teacher told me was going to be best and <laughs> right. uh, we know how persuasive that Mrs. Koch can be. Yes, um, so, you know, yes, but I, I was lucky enough that I had teachers that saw in me things that I might not have been able to see myself at that point and pushed me toward classes because if they let me, I would have taken like a pop lit or a children's lit. And, you know, and and my teacher said, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to take classes that are going to challenge you and you're going to enjoy them. And I did. I loved Silas Marner. I loved the rhyme of the ancient mariner. (laughs) You know, I I did not. I did not love Ethan Frome. I did not love Ethan Frome. But I digress. It's a slog. It's a little bit of a slog. Oh, it's so bad. Um, But, you know, I was lucky that I did have teachers that pushed me and made me want to do better. And I remember that now. And I do try to push my students to do the same, um, to try to excel, even when they can take the easy route. You know, why, why would you? Why, you know, try, yeah. to, try to push yourself and see where it takes you, see what, what types of new interests that you come up with. So that is something that I definitely think of now. And I really do try to... In, inject those positive comments in my classes and try to make personal connections with my students because I had that all through high school. I felt those personal connections with my teachers. I felt like they wanted me to do well, that they genuinely cared about me, and um, that even after I graduated and, and went back, because you know that was the thing to do in Raymond. You graduate and then you go back and you know whatever. Right. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I felt that even then they they were interested in how I was doing. So I really do think that that is what separates some teachers from others is the ones that the kids can tell, right? You're, you were a student once you can tell as a student, the ones that care about you and care about their craft and the ones that don't. And the kids naturally gravitate toward the ones that they feel, um, are the most invested and the most invested in them. But I absolutely was the kid that loved school. I loved to study. I was a, an athlete while I was in school. Um, but I was, I played volleyball in the fall and I played softball in the spring. And then I mm-hmm. skied in the winter, although we didn't have a ski team. It was just like a recreational thing. Mm-hmm. So I was active all the time. And um, I was active in National Honor Society. So I mean, I, there were plenty of things that I did that I enjoyed yeah. doing. I had a great friend group. And, um, you know, we we were... You know, we were the kids that really wanted to do well while we were in school and really didn't do bad things. Like we didn't, we we stayed on the straight and narrow um, because that was kind of how we were raised and that's kind of what we were going to do. And that's, that's what we did. Yeah. I I think in a lot of ways, our high school experiences kind of mirror each other Mm -hmm. because I I think of myself in, in kind of similar terms, right. In the sense that like I, I 
I was a good student and I worked really mm-hmm. hard, but I also like what there were some things that really were were hard for me and I yeah. I there was I had a ceiling for sure and I mm-hmm. I hit my head against that ceiling several times even in high school and definitely mm-hmm. through college. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that's kind of like the best combination in a sense in terms of being the kind of student who worked really hard but also like you were aware, very aware the fact of the fact that you had limitations. Right. And in a way that not everyone is, right? Like there are kids Mm -hmm. who are at the very top of their class, like in in a school like Raymond, who Mm -hmm. won't feel themselves like particularly challenged, you know, at at all times, right? Like they'll just like kind of every single, if there's a class, they will get an A in it or they will get as close to 100 as possible. So I think it kind of makes you able to empathize and sympathize like with so many different types of students because it's easy. And I get parents all the time asking me like, Oh, you know, like I, I'm sure that, or they'll say to me, like, I'm sure that you were really good at everything in school, so you might not understand that my kid isn't good at everything. And I'll say, like, mm. no, I actually wasn't, and I totally yeah. understand, you yeah. know. And even like coming from like a family where like not everyone was super good at school, you know, mm-hmm. in all aspects. So I think it does help to kind of be grounded in a sense yeah. and, and know sort of what your students can be going through at different times. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I sometimes wonder, I, I know that there are teachers that I work with, that I worked with in Raymond, that I work with at Pembroke, that say that they are a good teacher because they were a bad student. And yes. they kind of, you know, they know how to reach the kids that that struggle and the ones that have the giant chip on their shoulder because that was them. So I think there's something to be said for that, too, the people who kind of know what it means to have a, a not so great experience and yeah. how they can kind of, you know, attack that from, from kind of like a different perspective. So I think that, you know, it, it, it we worked with our strengths. We work with what we know and with what we have. And, um, you know, there is that, that element of adaptability. Like you, you do have to adapt on the fly and gosh, how much of teaching is just like you, you act like you act like, you know, what's going on. You act like, you know what you're doing. You act like you understand teenagers. Right. And if they, if they kind of follow along and you're like, all right, yeah, I can do this. And you kind of get more confidence and you're like, all right, I, I do believe this stuff that I'm saying and it yeah. does make sense. And they're listening to me. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, there is kind of that element in the, you know, obviously the longer you do this, the better you feel at that. And the less it becomes acting and the more it is your your you know you're just your teaching persona yeah i mean it really is like a fake it until you make it kind of thing uh yeah you know what john i'm not even gonna lie to you so this is year 18 and i probably just in the last two years feel confident in my teaching wow yeah well that's that's something to look forward to in the next 14 <laughs> years <laughs> So this this is going back a little bit to mm-hmm. to us, us talking about sort of about like what you know what what kind of student you are. I I, I want to mm-hmm. flip the script a little bit mm-hmm. and and ask this really in some ways self indulgent question, <laughs> but I, I think it's I don't know I I think you'll find it to be interesting and I find it to be interesting <laughs> as well. Um, I'm curious about what I was like as a student or what your yeah. experiences were like with me as as a student, both the the good and the bad, because I, I had you for honors world history honors, my sophomore yeah. year, and then mm-hmm. my junior year I had you. Uh, for psychology one semester and then sociology mm-hmm. um, the next semester. And then obviously mm-hmm. even after that, we were you know pretty pretty sure. close as well. So I'm Absolutely. curious about what, what John yeah. LeMay was like in, in high school. So I remember about your honors class. It was huge. It was like 25 of you. Mm-hmm. And there were some very strong minds in that class and some very big mouths in that class. <laughs> um, and I remember exactly where those people were sitting. Um, but I remember um, your handwriting was always excellent. You <laughs> were, you know, and, and I knew that you were 
were an English kid. You were always reading. You always uh-huh. had, you know, some new book that you were reading. You were always talking about um, your English classes. You were always talking about how you admired your English teachers. But you really did have a strong historical mind. And it's it, those those don't just grow on trees. Historical minds, like you, definitely had the analytical skills necessary to be a historian. So if you're, you know, if your career as an, you know, an English <laughs> professor in college didn't work out, you know, you could slide over to the social studies. We're not that okay. much different. Yeah. Yeah, that's Um, good to know. But, you know, I do remember that you were, you know, you did, you had the the hair Uh that kind of, you know, covered your face and you, yeah, and you were, you were very slight in stature, but you, you ran, right? You were in track, Uh were you? Yep, I was a runner. Yeah, so, um, so you were an athlete. I remember that. Um, you always had your work done. It was always done. It was always done well. Um, and there was a, a kind of constant, um, battle for supremacy with Jake Levitt with who was going to be the the bigger (laughs) mind in um in those classes all right so like which which kid is going to come out on top with with the grade on this test or on this paper um but it was never you know (laughs) we were very good friends as well yes right in a good natured way you know um and um and Jake's doing well for himself too so Mm -hmm. um but you you two were very different kids you were very different young people um even though you were friends and you had a wonderful friend group a wonderful wonderful supportive friend group that you could um you could be free to be yourself you know you were a little bit different than some of your your other classmates where um you know you were very devout in your faith and a lot of kids in Mm -hmm. Raymond weren't and you were never shy about your faith and it was never anything that you threw in anybody's face but you were very strong in your convictions and you said this is me this is who I am and you never apologized for it and your friends never were never were judging you for it they weren't Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't as devout as you were. There may have been some of them that that had their own faith, but um, yeah, but they, it was those never... just, they didn't have that upbringing. No, right, exactly. And it was something that you you felt very strongly about, and it was something that I admired you for because there wasn't a whole lot of that in Raymond. There weren't a whole lot of kids who were uh, were very strong and were vocally strong in that regard. And I think that we we kind of have lost some religiosity in our country. And we talk about that in sociology when we talk about social mm-hmm. institutions, and we look at certain parts of the country where religiosity and even church membership is still strong, and other mm-hmm. areas where it's not. And New England is an area that. That is kind of falling back a bit and unless you kind of have that upbringing where it is part of your life that might not be something that a lot of students have um, as a strong structure in their life and I see that now I see that I saw that in Raymond um, I see it sure. a little bit less in Pembroke I think that there are some kids that are um, that are very strong in their faith and and do regularly attend um, worship services um, but it, it definitely seems to be a trend in in our country. But yeah. going back to you, I you were just you were such a love. You really were. You always well, had the you. best smile. You had those those big ro- red rosy cheeks all the time. <laughs> um, and and you were there wasn't a, there wasn't anybody John that could have said anything bad about you because you just you were kind to everybody. You were sweet to everybody. You wanted to do well. You tried hard. Um, you and you just you always had a kind word for everybody. 
Oh, well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. You're welcome. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because, like, in a lot of ways, like, I, I, anyone who knows me very well, like, there are certain aspects of that description that wouldn't really, like, check out with them, right? Because I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not particularly religious anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I you probably remember that back in high school, I was, like, super conservative. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, like, oh, I you wasn't going to go there, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was super conservative. And, yeah. like, and honestly, like... Kind of annoyingly so, like in some aspects, <laughs> I would say, um, in the way that like, you know, young people in general sure. are annoying with their beliefs because half the time sure. they are just parroting what their parents are saying. Right. Like that's a sure. big part of what happens. But oh, I was yeah. very much annoyingly so. And I'm very much not conservative anymore. Like I'm super, super mm-hmm. liberal um, mm-hmm. now. So there are certain aspects of that description that I'm sure for some people who know me, they'd be like, wait, sorry, you're talking about John, John LeMay. Right. That's, that's right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny because, like, we would sometimes, uh, there were some times where we would, you know, I mean, you were always very good about sharing, you know, your beliefs and sharing Mm -hmm. your perspective on things, but never, Mm -hmm. like, teaching your beliefs or never teaching your perspective on something. Right, right. But I absolutely remember the two of us, like, sometimes, like, butting heads or, like, you know, me trying to, like, you know, prove you wrong with something or something like that. Um, Sure. So we had a good relationship, but we also, like, had very different beliefs back then. Um, Absolutely. And what I've kind of learned since then, and I know that it, that, I mean, I, on, we're Facebook friends, and on Facebook, I'm extraordinarily liberal, um, sure. probably annoyingly so at times. Um, <laughs> Everyone's I, annoying I, on Facebook. True, very true. You're right. Um, but, you know, in, in Raymond, I was much more vocal about my, my beliefs, my uh, political beliefs. And I kind of made a conscious effort when I came to Pembroke because I knew, like, I, I would be the one who would have the, you know, Obama-Biden sign in front of my house when mm-hmm. it, you know, came up to be election time. And then I realized, all right, when I come to teach in the town that I live in, I I didn't, I, I no longer felt comfortable, I guess, being able to voice my opinion because I guess my fear was, you know, what happens if down the road, and we're at soccer practice or something. And I have a parent who comes up to me and says, you know, what is this that you're teaching my kid about? Mm-hmm. What, you know, and why are you putting your beliefs in the classroom? And I guess I, I decided somewhere along the way that I didn't want to have those uncomfortable conversations with parents of, of students that might be my kid's friends at some right. point. So I really decided, to, I made a conscious effort to not talk about my, my, um, my liberal views in the classroom. And so, you know, the kids will ask me, how do you feel? And I say, well, that's not really, I want to know more how about you feel. I want to try to help them to figure out what they want rather than me kind of um, putting my opinions in there. But I I do play devil's advocate from time to time. And I played devil's advocate so well a few years ago that there, in 2016, that there was a woman um, who was working in my classroom at the time as a para who was at a Trump rally and she sent me a video, wish you were here. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my I, played God. It, <laughs> I played it so well that I like, I feel like I'm telling people I'm on the other side. So right, I try right. to tone that down a bit. Um, yeah. but, you, you can't know, win I, either way, apparently. Yeah. So I, I thought, I'm like, you know what? So what I teach my students is we always speak of the presidency, that we speak of that office with distinction. So he's always President Trump. He's always mm-hmm. President Obama. Whether we like the person or not, we speak of the mm-hmm. office with distinction. And we know that that is the highest, you know, highest office in the land and that we, we hold it with reverence. Whether the person who holds that position holds that opinion of it or not, um, that's, that's kind of how we are. Um, and what's very... 
difficult from time to time is when students, like you said, obviously are espousing views that they hear at home and the views are just blatantly wrong or are incorrect. Yeah. And right. that's when you really have to kind of tiptoe because you know that what you're basically saying is your parents are wrong. And for right. some of these kids, their parents are everything to them. And yeah. I, I don't want to you know, step on parents' toes. I, again, don't want to have to have those conversations with parents about what I'm, you know, the liberal crap I'm throwing at their kids. <laughs> so I really kind of just try to to walk the line carefully and try to get the kids to figure out, well, why do you feel that way? What, what makes yeah. you feel? Um, and there have been some students um, at PA that I've been able to kind of have conversations with that I have been able to kind of share my political views, but it hasn't been on a whole class level. It's sort of been, you know, we share this about this particular issue. I mean, like guns are, are pretty big and, you know, talking about that with, with public schools and, and, you know, schools in general. Um, so I've been able to have some conversations like that on a on an individual level, but I really don't try to have those full class conversations. I always try to turn it back. Well, well what do you think and why? Why do you think that way? So right. I, I know that um, I really have changed that from from how I was as a teacher in Raymond just because of the situation of living and working in the same town and wanting to make sure that I kind of insulate myself in that regard as well. So I don't have political science in front of my house anymore, which is kind of a bummer, but sure. you know, I, I still, I, I can give monetary donations and that makes me <laughs> Feel just as good. <laughs> right. Maybe they'll make a reappearance one of these days. Maybe yeah, one of these you days. never know. You never know. Your situation yeah. changes. Well, I actually, right. there's a really interesting, um, I have a lot of really fond memories from, from your classes, um, but there's one in particular that, that I always think back on, which is, uh, I think it was during our, psych, maybe our sociology class, mm-hmm. um, and the class as a whole had like, we were talking about healthcare, mm-hmm. and I think the majority of the class, it being Raymond High School, was mm-hmm. talking about like how essentially you know the government shouldn't shouldn't pay for healthcare. Like that was mm-hmm. like, that was just like the the position that most people in the class had taken. And yeah. I don't think you were like arguing like you, I think in some ways you were probably playing the devil's advocate, but also arguing about something that you were arguing for or discussing something that you feel very passionately about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you, I, I, that day, you happened to get, you got, you got pretty upset. Like, you got pretty Uh-oh. upset about it. And I remember after class, like, and this is where I guess I was, I could be nice at times. I came <laughs> up to you and I, or maybe it was, it was after school, but it was, it was after everyone has gone. And I came mm-hmm. up to you and I was like, hey, like, Miss Susanna, are you, are you okay? Like, is everything okay? And again, you probably were not like super upset, but I, I could mm-hmm. tell. And I, yeah. and you were like, yeah, no, it's okay, John. Like, I just haven't really been feeling that well lately. Mm-hmm. And I just want to preface this by saying like, this was not an okay thing for me to say, like <laughs> as a 15 or 16 year old, but yeah. it was the kind of thing. And I just joke, jokingly, I said something about like, oh, like, is there like a little Ozana on the way or something like that? Yeah. And yeah. you were like, shut the door. And so I shut the door <laughs> and you were like, if you tell anyone, I'm going to kill you <laughs> because like, I think you had, you were recently found out you were yeah. pregnant or something like yeah. that. And yeah. so like, you like swore me to secrecy and like told yeah. me that like you were, you were expecting, uh, I yeah. guess a- Abby, you were expecting Abby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My Abigail. Yeah. And so like, I like, actually, you, you might be proud of me to know like that. I kept that secret like the yeah. entire time. Oh, I did not tell you. anyone, not tell Thank any, you, baby even John. any of my, my best pals at Raymond. Oh, um, funny. Good for you. Thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. I take, I take such, such things seriously. But yeah, that was just like a thing that came from like one of those conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I can imagine why it would be getting heated about healthcare, you know, because just with, with that particular medical situation. And thankfully at that time, we still had those Cadillac health plans where, uh-huh. you know, you paid a lot of money for your plan, but everything was covered. I literally yeah. paid $10 to be pregnant and, and have that <laughs> child where right, if, right. if uh, you know, if the healthcare program or our, our healthcare premiums were different, it, I would have spent a lot more money. I mean, to, to, I had twins then two and a half years later. Um, and you know, we get the bill and you don't obviously pay the bill because you have health insurance, but it's $48,000 to right. have two babies at once. So I don't know how people without health insurance pay for anything. I, re- I really right. don't and even, you know, even people with health insurance, you're still, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. I mean, we could spend an entire hour talking about healthcare <laughs> in America, right? but that's another, that's another podcast. That's a Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Um, so, uh, in, in switching gears a little bit, um, I'd mm-hmm. like to talk a little bit about what you think about the ways in which we as educators fail our students or what it looks like when we as educators or an education system fail our students, either in individual classrooms or, again, the system as a, as a whole. Sure. You know, we, we are in our first year of strictly competency-based assessment at Pembroke mm-hmm. Academy. And so all students are getting a 4-3-2-1 on every assessment, and they're getting a 4-3-2-1 in the class. Um, and for a lot of people, that was really hard to make this, I mean, it still is, because we're still just two months into it. I mean, for, for us in the social studies department, we already had four-point rubrics. So we're kind of just tweaking a little bit as we go, and instead of it being on a 100-point scale, it's on a four-point scale. But I feel like we change things a lot in education. Um, right. and it's kind of based on whatever the current research is. And, you know, we can say, oh, this research says that this is best or, you know, this has been vetted. Well, how long has it been vetted? Because we just changed this, you right. know, five years ago. So sometimes I worry that we, we change things too much that we don't really look at where you know, the outcome, where this is going, what it's what is going to happen with it. Um, and then, you know, and I think we did this with your social class. We look at other countries like Finland and what are they doing? Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just their education system. I mean, they're they're expected to be independent at a lot younger age than we expect our young people. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if your class would have read any of Amy Chua's book, the uh, the Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. I think that might have been think published. So. Yeah, I no, think she um, she's a, a lawyer and um, Chinese American and has um, two daughters that she was trying to raise in a sort of strict Chinese fashion. And, you know, other American mothers around her were, you know, why are you doing this? And, and you know, looking at different cultures, I guess, you know, taking the sociology teacher perspective, other cultures do things a lot differently than we do, but it's not just teachers. We can't just say that it's teachers that teach differently. It's society that is different. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do think that we change things around quite a bit in education. And that we kind of just don't stick with something. It's kind of like a, a running joke. All right, well, how long is this initiative going to be around before we change to something right. else? I mean, I remember when rubrics were new, when you kind of just like, okay, this looks like an 85, you know, this looks like yeah. a 72. And there was no no descriptors that went with it. I remember writing rubrics in the beginning, thinking, oh, my God, this is so hard. How am I going to grade with this? And now I couldn't even tell you how to grade without them. So that's right, been one right, of those right. initiatives that stuck around for a lot longer than anybody expected <laughs> to. Uh, or at least anybody that I was working around at the time. But there there are other things that we've sort of seen come and go that I, I kind of just, you know, I'd like to just be able to do something for a little while, learn how to do it well, and then, you know, be allowed to kind of 
make changes to it. Like, like with my rubrics, I'm always changing my rubrics. I have a note right now of rubrics that I need to change this evening <laughs> or things that I need to change based on feedback that I got from students where I didn't really like how this turned out. Um, so I need to change some of the descriptive language there. Um, but I mean, I, I think that, you know, 18 years of teaching, I'm just starting to feel like, all right, my rubrics are pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, where if if I if I don't have that time to kind of play with things and work them out, how am I ever going to get good at something? So I think that we change a lot and we as teachers are expected to take on so much more every year. Like we need to do this and we need to do that. When I started teaching, we didn't have email like there was no teacher email. Now I'm accessible to parents at all hours of the day. They can send me emails to ask how their students are doing. Um, oh, well, here is is Johnny's project. He forgot to turn in. Here it is. So, I mean, I think that we as teachers are expected to be a lot more accessible now than we ever used to be. And our our day shrinks the day that the time that we have with whatever outside of yeah. school is drastically diminished because we're expected to, you know, respond to those emails right away. Or, um, you know, I've got, I got 50 psychology projects. Well, I would have got 50 psychology projects if all the kids turned them in, but they didn't. We know how that works. So I <laughs> right, probably right. have, you know, like 30, 35, um, developmental scrapbooks to grade that I'd like to get done before I see my kids again on Wednesday. So I'll split that a little bit between tonight and tomorrow night. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's hard with the amount of time that we're expected to to get things done and to do them really well. You know, I don't yeah. I don't think people understand how much goes into to teaching that's not just standing up and delivering in front of the classroom like how long does it take me to make all my powerpoints and, you know, redo all my rubrics to make sure that they're exactly how they need to be in this four-point scale and and add, you know, language for learning goals on every single one of my assignments. Um so there are definitely, you know, things that are constantly changing and the demands on teachers are constantly changing too. So I think that that, that makes it difficult for, for us to do what we do well, because it's that, that description of what we do is always changing. Yeah. Does that kind absolutely. of answer your question? It absolutely does. Yeah. Cause okay. it taps into what, yeah, ways in which we fail our students, but also ways in which we fail our, our teachers. And that obviously mm. translates over to how our students feel they're being taken care of and, and, and our teachers' ability to, to, you know, to take care of our students. So it, right. all, it all absolutely connects. And I think, yeah, just this idea of, of change and how quickly things change and how quickly mm -hmm. we are expected to adapt to the changes and, and our students as right. well. Because, you know, in a lot of ways, our students are just getting comfortable with one particular model of learning. Um, and right. they're doing that. They're changing just throughout the day, right? They're changing from mm -hmm. one class to another class and one teacher to another teacher. So yeah. there's a lot that's yeah. going on there when we're also expecting them to learn and, learn. and take advantage of these formative years of their, right. of their lives. So it's, we're asking a lot of them. I had a conversation with a student of mine that just graduated from PA last year. She's a freshman at UNH. Um, she was my, one of my advisees. She was in my advisory for four years. I got to know her very well. And she took my psych class and she's taking Psych 101 in college. And I tell all the students the content for this psych class is set up like you would have for a Psych 101 class, at least the, you know, the the different topics that we'll go over. So they'll do a lot more statistics with you. They'll do a lot more like looking at data than we ever did because again math right mm -hmm. okay. um but you know i would always the the summatives at the end of every unit were how can you apply this information 
to you? Like how does psych apply to you? And she said, you know, that that was great for her in high school. And she was saying how she was studying for a big psych test. I said, well, what does it look like? She goes, oh, it's going to be like 200 question, multiple choice. And I'm just like pulling my my hair out because I said to her, I'm like, you know, I'm really sorry that I, as your psych teacher, didn't prepare you better for those kinds of tests. And she said, well, you know, they, they colleges college and high school there's there's a huge gap there right between what we expect in high school students because we as educators try to be progressive and we try to you know look at the at the latest research and what works best for young minds and i think college college professors want to write right they want to write they want to research and write mm-hmm. but they just want to talk to the students about the material and the kids are expected to take notes and regurgitate on it so there is a huge difference between what we expect high yeah. school students to do and what we expect college students to do and i don't know how we bridge that gap between the two i don't know who bends um but i know that there is kind of a, a pretty i guess depending on where you go a pretty large disconnect between what they get at the yeah. high school level and what they get at the college level and i i think that that might be a failure on both of our parts as well yeah yeah, absolutely. That really makes sense. Um, so we'll move into the final stages here, and then sure. I'll I'll let you get to grading your uh, yeah, <laughs> developmental yeah. <laughs> uh, My scrapbooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear just a little bit about something that you feel that you know. You said that you're in your 18th year of education now, and mm-hmm. and and or even teaching for 18 years, and you're starting to really some things are just starting to really click in in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Um, but I'm curious about what are some large takeaways that you've really stumbled upon in your time as an educator or Hmm. something that you constantly remind yourself or something that you found yourself reminding yourself of um, or potentially something that you would communicate to like a young educator or someone who's just starting Hmm. out like this is kind of like the big thing that you need to keep in mind um, as you navigate this this Hmm. profession I think I guess what it would be is that you can you you can never stop learning as an educator. There's always new things that you need to be learning how to do. Um, I took, I'm, I'm in the middle of my master's right now to get my principal certification. Not mm-hmm. that I ever intend to be a principal, but eh, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly don't see myself in a school outside of the classroom, but that's, I, I figured I might as well. Right. So I, I took a class a few years ago on classroom assessment. And I think at that, I was pregnant with the boys. So this was 2012. So at that point I had been teaching for 11 years. And even, at, even after all that time of teaching and thinking I knew what I was doing, creating assessments and grading, I really was sort of blown away by what I was learning from other teachers and from my professor who was at the time our elementary school principal, Mr. Um, oh gosh, math teacher Legallo. Do you remember Mr. Legallo? I don't think I ever had him. He's, I was homeschooled um, until eighth grade, so. Oh, okay, yeah, no, he was. Um, I believe he's now either a superintendent or assistant superintendent somewhere, but he was my professor at the time, and you know we were had conversations about standardized testing, which I still really don't agree with, but mm-hmm. um, you know, and other, other types of assessment, and you know, why do we assess students? What are we trying to get out of the assessment? And it really was. You know, I I think the first few years we teach, it's all survival, right? How am I going to survive this day, this week, this month, this unit? And then once we kind of get a better understanding, a better command of our content and our skill and our practice, we can begin to hone that a bit. And I guess one of those things that I never really honed was assessment. What was I looking for kids to be able to do? Um, What did I, how did I want them to be able to demonstrate their knowledge? So that was really interesting for me was, you know what, this is not, I kind of had a realization when I took this class that I'm never going to be a good teacher 
unless I, I realize that I'm going to have to keep learning. I'm going to always have to do new things. I'm always going to have to be finding different ways to connect the content to the students, to uh, real life examples and different associations to things. Um, so I guess that that's what I would tell teachers is, is survival first, new teachers yeah. survival first, um, self-preservation, um, and then to realize that we're never going to be perfect but we can keep working toward being better teachers every day. Yeah, and that absolutely resonates with me as I sort of am beginning to step, you know, beyond mm-hmm. that survival, survival. Yeah. Um, phase in some aspects. <laughs> There's it's still, nice to just kind of feel like you've days. got your head above water and it's like, yeah. all right, what now what can I start to think about? What do I want my students to be able to do? And it does, it takes a while and I don't, I don't think they tell you that in college. I don't think that they prepare you enough for how unbelievably all-consumingly difficult those first few years can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And how to <laughs> tell people that without scaring them away. Right, right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that their their student loans scare them away enough. Yeah, that... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so the very last thing we're going to do, mm. um, I have a little bit of a challenge for you if you are feeling Uh-oh. up for you're okay. feeling up for a challenge. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is capture your essence as an educator, sort of um, yeah. pitch yourself as a teacher to the best yeah. of your ability in 30 seconds. So I have a timer okay. that I will share with you, and I have 30 seconds on the clock. Okay. And just whatever comes to mind, just what it means to be in a class with Miss Ozana or Miss Doyle. Oh my gosh! Um, okay. So there's no, there are no wrong answers. Okay. Um, as long as it is true to you, that's what matters at the end of the day. Are you? Okay. Uh, are you ready? I'll count you in. I'm ready. Yes. Okay. All right. So 30 seconds on the clock, and I will count you yeah. in in three, two, one, go. Okay, so I am the zany mom that loves history, loves anything social studies, and will drag you kicking and screaming over the finish line so that you will be successful in my class and that you will come to have, if not a love, an appreciation for all things social studies and you'll be entertained along the way. And maybe hear some swear words every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. And you have two seconds left. Um, yes, I remember. I don't know if it's still if it's still your preferred one, but I remember the word bastard. <laughs> being yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, little bastards everywhere. Yes, I love it. I mean, now I do try like because we we don't swear in front of our children like the children I gave birth to. So in class, I'll oh, sugar. Oh, dang it. You know, every yeah. now and then. And, you know, sometimes I'll like, a you know, a muttered F word will be sure. said and someone will hear it. I'm like, oh, crap, they heard me again. But, right. <laughs> you know, that's eh, whatever gets you through you, the day. You, you need that release every now and then. <laughs> every now and and then yes <laughs> um okay so what i'm gonna have you do is move into the second round which mm-hmm. is uh you pitching yourself as an educator or capturing your essence as an educator to the best of your ability in 10 seconds 10 seconds 10 seconds oh my gosh so i have 10 seconds on the clock and uh, if you are ready i will uh, count you in in three two one go I love history. I love young people, and I will love history and young people. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Great. 
<laughs> that, it, was just, that was hard. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not pretending that this is easy. I haven't had to do it just yet. Um, but I, I am under no illusion that what I'm asking mm. you to do is, is anywhere within the realm of, of ease. Yeah. Um, so now what I'm going to have you do uh, is just capture your essence as an educator to the best of your ability, just using one single word. Energetic. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. And it checks out. It checks out for me. I can I can verify that all of this is 100 percent accurate from the uh, from the from the zany from the zany yeah. mobness to the to the right. swearing to the energy to all of it. It's all it's all there. It's, it's all there. there. Yeah, that's the whole package. <laughs> awesome. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to me. Um, it's awesome. As I said at, at the at the top, it's awesome just getting to know you as, you know, someone who is in the same profession as me. And it's, yeah. it's awesome sort of hearing a little bit kind of behind the scenes of, of stuff that I think intellectually I knew was was going on while mm-hmm. you were my teacher. Um, mm-hmm. But it just kind of it puts it all sort of in an interesting perspective. Sure. Um, and uh, I always cite you as one of my one of my favorite teachers that I've ever had. Um, so I, I appreciate everything that you did for for me and uh and and i think you had my older brother in class as well is that i did i had josh yep yeah so everything you've done for just the lamaze as they went through (laughs) in high school um absolutely um, yep absolutely yep and you were you were always a great student and this was fun john thank you for asking me to do this this was great yeah of course awesome all right thanks kristen really appreciate it take care of course take care Once again, my thanks to Kristen for taking the time to speak with me and for being so honest and generous throughout our conversation. This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay. Our associate producer is Emily Moeller. Our cover art is by Katie Cooper. And our theme music is You Need a Visa by Really Fromp. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me next Thursday for another episode featuring another teacher and another story. 